All right, so get into, uh, we're going to begin a, a new series in Acts. I got a new Bible. Um, my old one literally fell apart, like literally, just like I was pulling out books of the Bible. And uh, it, it tells us not to do that. So I was like, I better put that one to rest. So now I got one that's sticking pages all together. I got to break it in. Uh, Acts chapter uh, 1 is where we're going. We're going to begin. This series is on, uh, w- w- the call, we're going to call it ICNU. So let me explain that. I, I, I was reading a book. It's uh, called Hero Makers. Great book. Highly recommend it. If you are, uh, uh, it's geared towards uh, churches, but if you are in the business world or if you're a person who's saying, hey, I've hit a, I've hit a pinnacle and I, I want to cre- do something more than what I've done in my personal success. I want to help somebody else be successful. Hero Maker is a great book. And in it, it talks about you have to, as a hero maker, you have to see in people. So, and then they come up with this acronym, I-C-N-U. So I, meaning me, C, and so S-E-E-C-N-U. So, uh, but I want to take it a little bit different direction because uh, if we're going to do all that God's called us to do, if we're going to make, let's just, the, the January 5th, 2020, how many have messed up your resolutions? Okay, who actually made res- makes resolutions anymore? Okay, got a few that are still die hard. I, I, I'm not a resolution guy because I'm not resolute um, in my resolutions. So I just gave up doing that. I, I set goals and, uh, and they change um, depending on how successful I am in making them. Joking. Um, but the, uh, I see, I seen you, uh, so the, the, the problem is, is that we have these resolutions, we have these things that we're going after, and by the end of this month, most resolutions that have been made will be broken by the end of January. So how do we change that? How do we change that this year? How do we, the, the new, you, new year, new you, you know, all the bogus stuff, you get all the, your Planet Fitness, uh, you know, how, <laughs> you're going to get signed up for your new gym membership and all those stuff that you're, you've made that decision this year. How do we make it different? And the difference is going to be the Holy Spirit in you. And so that's going to be the series. We're going to be walking through the book of Acts and uh, on, on, on all this. So uh, the book of Acts, if you are like my Bible, it says the Acts of the Apostles. I don't like that title. Um, let me show you why. Because Acts chapter 1 begins this way in my former book, Theophilus. So let me, if we're going to study scripture, what do we got to do? We got to study in? Nice. We got to study in? Context. So he begins by giving us context in my former book. So what was his former book? Anybody want to throw it out there? All you biblical scholars out there? Luke. Very good. So Luke is, uh, is the first book. So one of the biographies of Jesus is the book called Luke. It is written by the man named Luke. Uh, he wrote the book to Theophilus. So there's our second clue, Theophilus. Now here's what you need to, this is what we know about Theophilus. Nothing. We really don't know much about Theophilus. Uh, we know in the first book he wrote to him and said, most excellent Theophilus. In this one he just says Theophilus. Uh, so from that we can take the hint that uh, Luke we know is a Gentile. So we know that. Uh, he's the only uh, writer in the New Testament that I know of that's a Gentile. Um, and then he writes to most likely Theophilus who is also a Gentile and probably in the upper social elements of Roman society. So we can guess that he is somebody of influence within this, uh, the society of the Roman Empire. Um, so the, my, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. So there is his thesis for Luke. 
there's the, that, that's what the context of Luke was Jesus. So that's why we call it a biography of Jesus, because that's what it was focused on. And Luke, luckily, is, uh, we, I really appreciate Luke, because he's one of the two biographies that gives us a, uh, an image of Jesus from birth, uh, skips the Middle Ages, uh, you know, that gives it just a little glimpse of him as a, as a young boy, but then when he's in ministry. But uh, so Luke gives us that in the first one, and then it says, after giving uh, instructions through the Holy Spirit to, his, uh, to the apostles, he had chosen. So there's the key for this book. So if I were to rename this book, if I were given permission to be the one who gave the title to these title pages, I would say it should be the Acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Because that's the only thing that you see consistent through the entire book. The, the apostles, the disciples, they all change. We get a focus at the beginning of it on Peter. At the end of it, we have a focus on Paul. So it's not really, so, so he, that's just, I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm dividing hairs and it's just, but this is just me. I think it should be called the apostles of the acts, uh, of the acts of, yeah, geez, the acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So he says in my former book, so then he goes, he continues on. He says, after his suffering. So context, what is his suffering? The, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the, 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 um, the passion of Jesus. So he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. So here, here it is, convincing proofs. This is, this is big. We don't get a, he, he, Luke's kind of summarizing where he ended Luke. So let's jump back a little bit. Where, what was he convincing? What were those convincing proofs? Number one, let's, we can take the whole gospels and I'll have a lot of time to spend here, but um, he, uh, so after he died and he resurrected, he met Mary in the garden. He says, hey, tell my disciples to meet me in Galilee. So let's just give a little framework here. He, he died in Jerusalem down here. Let me get my, there's Jerusalem. He dies in Jerusalem. He's crucified. He resurrects in Jerusalem. And he tells his disciples who are all in Jerusalem, hey, meet me in Galilee. It's quite a trip. So why why does he meet, say, meet us in Galilee? Well, most scholars would argue that the reason he says meet me in Galilee is because it's a little safer there. He just died. He just got killed in Jerusalem. So probably not a good environment to be hanging out in if you're just like, hey, I'm, you know. So he says, hey, I want to teach you guys some things. I want to help you. So for 40 days from the time he resurrects to the time he ascends, there's 40 days where Jesus is teaching his disciples. Uh, man, you have to pray with me. I got my, my voices. I, I got the Ohio crud. It's, uh, yeah, so here we go. Got the, <clears throat> the Ohio crud. We're going to get through it. But so he goes from, he says, meet me in Galilee. And then we find out that he says, okay, now uh, his last meeting is in the, uh, I'm going to give you a little sneak peek to where we're going in this verse in, in Acts 1. He says, uh, he, the last thing he talks to him, he's a back in Jerusalem at the Mount of Olives. So this is where he says, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them a commandment. So what's that one occasion? The one occasion, as we'll see at the end of this this passage, is that he is at the Mount Olives. So now here's why I always give you context and I want to give you pictures because I had a wrong image of Jerusalem until I went to Jerusalem. I, I always thought it was Mount Moriah. It was on a mountain, and they always went up to Jerusalem. And I had that in my mind. That's Jerusalem. Does it look like a mountain? 
okay, maybe in your mind it does, but in my mind I had like a, you know, a snow-capped mountain, and that's what I saw, so I'm just helping you out. This is what Jerusalem looks like. So if you were to go there today, right here is uh, the Temple Mount. There is a, uh, a, uh, what, I can't, a mosque. Uh, the, a Muslim mosque is there today, but that's where the temple would have been. And you can see, so this right here is what they call the city of David. That's all Jerusalem. So when you, in your mind, you can see this is uh, where the, the mountain range comes to a peak, but it's not really a mountain as I would have pictured a mountain. Maybe you did, but that's not me. I'm not that smart. So here is the Mount, Mount, Olives, Mount of Olives. No, that's one that we've heard of a lot. It's where Jesus uh, goes before he's crucified, and it's where he is giving his last uh, last words of encouragement and commandment to the disciples before he ascends. So that's where he's at. So there's a valley right here, and you'll see that it calls it a Sabbath day walk. What that means is it takes, in a Sabbath, they're allowed to take so many steps as a Jew. It, that is within the limit of where they can go from here to there of Jerusalem. That's all that means. So I'm giving you groundwork because this is going to come back to play later in other messages that you'll need to know this. So uh, they are at the Mount of Olives. He says on that occasion, he gives them this commandment. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. So this, this is key. I'm going to come back to these two things in a minute. He says, which you have heard me speak about for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. And, and so we, this, is, this is where we're going. He, I'll, I'll keep going here. It says, then, then they gathered around him. So he's telling them, he gives them the last commandment. This is the last thing he's going to tell them before he ascends. He knows this. Luke writes it down at, in this context that this is the last thing he's telling them. And he says, they, then they are like, oh, okay. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, if you are with us in the series, Join the Story, you would know that Jesus at this moment goes facepalm. Like he, is, he can't believe that they're asking him this. He has spent three years teaching them the kingdom of heaven is here. I am ushering in the kingdom of heaven, and now I am equipping you to be the kingdom of heaven. And they're going, and, and he, he's over and over repeats to them, it's not a physical kingdom. It's not. Even when he's crucified, he tells uh, Pontius Pilate, it's not a kingdom of this earth. I, I'm just making it clear over and over. And then he spends 40 days talking to them and telling them about, kingdom, about the kingdom of God. And then they go, oh, now you're going to do what we've been thinking you're going to do. And Jesus goes, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set in his, by his own authority. In other words, that's none of your business. That's none of your business. Like, you guys are focused on the wrong thing, but, but, I've I, I got to get you refocused. So you guys are focused on the wrong thing, but you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And at this point, the disciples go, hmm, okay, um, Jesus, just, just a refresher, um, you just got killed in Jerusalem and you want us to go to Jerusalem and be your witnesses there? Judea, 
I'm okay with Judea because that's Galilee and uh, that's, that's not too bad, but Samaria? Like, Jews don't go to Samaria. You're the only Jew that we know, Jesus, that even goes to Samaria. The rest of us go around it. And to the ends of the earth, what does that even mean? Well, we're going to talk about that in the later messages, but he says, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. And then he says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. How cool would that be? Like, there he is, he's talking, hey guys, this is, you know, this is it. I want you to go back to Jerusalem. I want you to receive the weight and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that's going to come. Um, so, and then phew, he disappears. That would be pretty cool and pretty scary because everything you've known for three years just changed. Hey, um, what, what, what just happened? What, what's, what's going on here? And I love this because it says that's exactly what they did. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Okay, what's next? Fireworks? Lightning? Thunder? Anything? Like, just waiting. And, I, and in my mind, I see it as a sunny day with some nice little clouds. And <laughs> what's next? And the two men come and say, hey, why, why are you standing here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back into the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is like I could do a whole other message on this right here. How many times have we been guilty of Jesus telling us our next step and we're going, what are you going to do next, Jesus? Come on, Jesus, do, do something. Jesus, do something. <laughs> nope, it's time for you to go do something. Go and do what he told you to do. It says, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called, Mount of, called the Mount of Olives. A Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Now, I'm hoping that I can mess up. Some of you have come from a background, uh, maybe a Pentecostal background, where you've talked about the upper room experience. I can't wait to mess with you because... It didn't happen in an upper room. Anyways, um, we'll talk about that in a little bit, uh, that upper room and where we get the context or that and where we stopped reading the context and just kind of made up our own stuff. But anyways, um, it says they were in an upper room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Now, if you counted why I was saying that, there's 11 because we're missing Judas Iscariot. Okay, Judas, and there's two Judases and the, the 12 disciples. Judas Iscariot is the one who uh, turned Jesus over to the Pharisees. He's the one who then hung himself. So here we are. The, the apostles returned to Jerusalem. So this is, oh, 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 slow down. Okay, so there's a couple things. I, I, I go, want to back up and look at this. So the first thing that we got to grab, grab hold of is that he told them to go and, cheaters, some saw some of you writing before I go. Go and wait. Now, we hate the word wait. I hate the word wait. I love apps because it removes a lot of weights. I do not wait in a Starbucks line. For those of you that when I pull into Starbucks and you're in the long line behind in the drive-thru, I am laughing at you. Just, just if you're ever in that line and you see my white truck pull in, I am physically laughing at you because I ordered mine on the app 
and I order it early enough that when I pull in, I pull my truck. I don't even turn it off. So if you ever see my truck sitting back there, go ahead and move it. You, good <laughs> You'll be doing me a favor. I can turn in insurance. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't turn it off. I just jump out of the truck. I run in. My drink is sitting there with my name on there. I walk up. I grab it. I tell the baristas, thank you so much. You guys are awesome. And I walk out the back door and I did not wait. Last night, I, I ordered, um, so I'm doing the progressive fast. Uh, I'm, I'm, and by the way, let me just say this. This is an exciting time. If you are doing a fast, um, I was having a conversation with somebody, and they, they were like, I, I'd like to do the, the fast, but um, my, my kid's birthday is right in the middle of it, and uh, we've already kind of scheduled some stuff, and if I fast, then I'll, I feel like I'm kind of like a party pooper. Please do not make the fast legalistic. If it's, a fa- it's a principle of the fast. So if you have something already scheduled, join the fast, and then at that moment, just take a break from it, and then go back on the fast, okay? It's do not make, anytime we turn anything good into legalistic, it makes it bad. So do not make it into a legalistic thing. It is the principle of the matter that you're saying, this 21 days is God's. I'm going to follow after him. So, so anyways, so I'm, I'm doing a progressive fast, which means I cut food out progressively. And uh, so I'm at a point where I don't have carbs. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking at the Chipotle app. And they have a new app or new menu for the new year because, you know, new year, new you, right? Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and they got a keto-like thing on there. So I'm like, oh, yeah, it's super greens. And I'm like, oh, this will be good. So I click on it. I go get my Chipotle. I did not wait. It was disgusting, but I didn't wait, okay? Uh, <laughs> so I, 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 the, the wait, wait, though, is, it's a four-letter word in our language, isn't it? Literally, it's spelled W-A-I-T. Four letters. But we treat it like a four letter. We do not want to wait because we think waiting is just sitting around. When Jesus told them to go wait, he didn't say go, you know, sit there and play solitaire. He didn't say go and just sit on your rear end and, and do nothing. He said go and wait. What do they do? Read the rest of Acts chapter one. They go and they pray because waiting is praying. Waiting is praying. And the second thing that they do is they go, hey, we've lost a disciple. He went and uh, hung himself. So we got to replace him. And they replace him with Mattathias. So they, not only are they praying, but they are preparing. See, waiting is not just sitting around. Waiting is praying. That's why this 21 days is so powerful. We got, we got an amazing dream team. This dream team is phenomenal. I went back to the kids' area, and there are 36 kids in K-5. We have a young, awesome church. And you guys, I had a bunch of kids between the <laughs> kindergarten through fifth grade. There's a crazy amount of kids back there. And they are all around. Our dream team is amazing. Uh, and then we have an amazing core team. And so this, this, uh, at the beginning of the new year, I, I sent out a message and said, hey, guys, I want to know how I can pray for you. And if there's anything, I'll come alongside of you. And I love the response I got back from, a, from the majority of them was, hey, I'm going to take the 21 days to get myself aligned to where God's taking me. See, that's just 21 days of prayer and fasting isn't getting God to like, convince him to do what we want him to do. It's us getting aligned with what God wants to do. Waiting. It's praying. Waiting is preparing our hearts and our minds. So he said, go and wait. And then the second thing he says, go and then receive the gift. Receive the gift. Now, we just got done with Christmas. And this happens every Christmas at our house. 
inevitably, we, we order and purchase, well, my wife orders or purchases all these Christmas gifts. And then she lets me know, hey, we got these gifts, and should we hide them in our house so that the kids can't find them, and it's all that. By the way, uh, we, do, uh, we do stockings. Uh, that's Santa's, the little stockings. The gifts that I buy, the big ones, I take credit for, okay? So, uh, um, so I, I, I got them, uh, and he, um, so we, we've got them hidden, and we, we know where they're hidden, uh, but we don't want the kids to find them. And it, it is, for like, I think it's like going on four years now, there ends up being a gift that my wife goes, I know it was in here. And it's always a video game. It's a small little package. And she goes, I know I bought it. I have the receipt for it, but I cannot find it. See, the gift was purchased. The gift was in the house, but the gift couldn't be received because we couldn't find it. It wasn't doing any good where it was because it hadn't yet been received. See, here's what you have to understand about the Holy Spirit. It has been purchased for you. You do, cannot do anything to earn it. It is in the house. It just needs plugged in. You have to receive it for it to do any good. And this is what I want to do with this series is I want to help you understand the power and the anointing and the equipping that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. It is, it is something that is, we cannot do without. And some of you have grown up in backgrounds and churches that it is father, son, and you don't, you don't want to talk about it. The Holy Spirit is something weird. It's something that's off the charts, and you're like, I don't want to talk about that or do anything with it. And some of you have grown up in churches where the Holy Spirit has been all about a show that has been produced. And it literally, I grew up in that kind of environment where it was like, we didn't have church until somebody was running. Because the Holy Spirit has moved. And if you're not moving, then the Holy Spirit hasn't moved. And we have on two different ends of, of, this, of this point have made a, a mockery and missed out on the power of the Holy Spirit. So we got we to gotta understand it's, it's powerful and we need to receive the gift. And the third thing is that he says it'll have the power to change your will. It'll have the power to change your will. I look, look back at what he said. So they, he says, hey, go to Jerusalem. Don't leave. Wait until you receive the gift. And they go, oh, then you will do something to set up your kingdom. Their will at that point was pointing to Jesus. You will do something. And Jesus turns it around and goes, no, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. See, the will is in us. Again, over and over, he's trying to show them, I've got to change your perspective of what is happening here. It has power. So this is Jesus' last commandment. It is his last little piece that he wants for them to understand. And he says, so to really grasp this and what, what, the, what the Holy Spirit is, we have to go back and look in the biographies of what Jesus was talking about when he talked about the Holy Spirit. So let's go back. Let's look at John uh, John chapter 14, verse 16, and Jesus is talking to the disciples about the Holy Spirit. And he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Now that word advocate is a, is a, it's a hard word to translate into English. So uh, some of your uh, translations would say comforter. Some would say uh, uh, the Holy Spirit, there's all different ways that it's translated. The best translation is not really a word, but it is, 
It is one that comes alongside. It is an advocate. It is a helper. It is a comforter. So who, uh, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. Holy Spirit, all truth. This is, this is important. That you, the, the, world, the world can't receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you will know him because he lives in you now and later he will be in you. This is, this is where Jesus is, so Jesus is talking about him leaving. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send back a comforter. He has been with you. Who's that? Him. I've been walking with you. But now I'm going to send back my spirit, and he will be living in you. In John 16, he says, but in fact, again, talking about the Holy Spirit, but in fact, it's best for you that I go away. So he's saying, my physical body needs to go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you when the spirit of truth, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. All truth. I got to study this, and I'll be honest with you, this, this is never, I've never grasped this until this past week. I'm like, what do you mean all truth? Is it possible to have partial truth? Is it possible just to have a piece of the truth? And, and then I started thinking about it. Yes, my kids do this to me all the time. They, they leave out what they don't want me to know. And they give me the piece that I want, that they know I want to know, right? This is this all truth. He says, he says, uh, he will be all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what the, he has heard. He will tell you about the future. All truth. He's going to tell you about the future. And, and it's, <laughs> so I'm like, what, what, is, what does this mean? And, and then I, as I was digging through, I got to John chapter 8. And it says, and you will know the truth. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And this know the truth, that word know is in the Greek gnosko, which we put know, but that word is, the, is such a more intimate word of knowing. Uh, it is a, it's actually a sexual intimacy knowing. Uh, Jesus uses the same gnosko uh, when he, in Matthew chapter 22 when he's talking about that the, you will know the tree by its fruit. In other words, it's one and the same. You will know them together. So this knowing is an intimacy. It's this closeness. And it's not about just knowing it so you can quote it. It's knowing it so that it's in you. And it'll give you all truth. And here, here's what you got to grab hold of, is that the truth we believe is the truth we live. The truth we believe is the truth we live. This is, um, this is one of those things that we, when we, what we look for is what we'll find. When I believe people are against me, I will see them being against me. When I believe that my wife is mad at me, every word she says to me, I take as her being mad at me. I just assume I put on her the, the truth that I believe. And this is what we do in our lives, is if I believe that I am stuck, then I will live stuck. If I believe like I can't succeed, then I'll live like a failure. We live 
out what we believe. So the truth we believe, this is happening in John chapter 8. This exact same thing. So he's talking to the group of Pharisees. He's saying, the truth, will, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And they go, what do you mean? We are descendants of Abraham. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean we will be set free? <laughs> he's literally talking to a group of people whose history is about slavery. In Egypt, they were slaves. After they got into the promised land, they were taken out by the Babylonian Empire as slaves. The Persian Empire, the Assyrian Empire, the, the Roman Empire, at this point in their lives right now, they're not even free. They have a, a, a pretending to be free. But if the Roman Empire says, no, you're going to do this, literally, if a, if a Roman soldier came up and said, hey, carry my pack, they literally had to carry it for a mile, no questions asked. They're not free. But they had told themselves so much that they were free that they didn't realize they were still in bondage. See, this is what we do. We talk ourselves into something so much that we end up believing what we are, what, what we're living. And, and, and then we start using it to, to, to match up with what's happening. So we see ourselves as, as desperate. You'll you even hear it in our, in our language. Things will be going bad. It's just my world, just my life, got to live my life. We go and we just accept it as that's the way it's supposed to be. He says, no, no, no. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will have all truth. See, we, we look at lives and we see only one side of it and we think that's all of it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew boys in the, in the fiery furnace, if they'd have looked at the only one side of the truth, the one side of the truth was, I'm in a fiery furnace. This is not a good situation. That's truth. Right? That's truth. But the other side of it was, he is with me. See, it's two sides of the same coin. See, truth is both sides. We get stuck thinking it's just one side. But Paul understands this. He says, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you have all truth. That's why he's able to write in 2 Corinthians. He says, hey, we are hard-pressed. That's one side of it, but not crushed. That's the other side of it. I'm perplexed. That's one side of it, but I'm not in despair. I'm persecuted, but I'm not abandoned. I'm struck down, but not destroyed. Look at this. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. That's one side of it so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. See, we, we go around getting focused on one side of the truth. We've got to understand there's the other side of the truth. One side of your truth is that you, uh, you have had some really bad mess-ups, and God says, that's going to be my greatest miracles. We go, man, 2019 was a, an utter chaos, and God goes, yep, and out of that chaos, I'm going to bring peace. You, you've gone through this place and you, you feel rejected. In fact, you have been rejected. But Jesus goes, I've accepted you. And that's the only acceptance you need. I, I feel lonely. Jesus says, but you're not alone. You feel pushed down. Jesus says, yeah, but that means I get to raise you up. See, the whole truth is both sides. I have failed, yes. But my failure will be the foundation for my future. I, I, I am a sinner. That's one side. The other side is I have a savior. 
I have one side that says, I don't have the strength. He says, I'm your power. One side says, I don't have the ability. And he says, I'm your enabler. I don't have a calling. And he says, I am the anointing. See, when we understand the power of the Holy Spirit, it brings out all truth. See, right now, you walked in here this morning with stress. And he goes, I'm your peace. You come in here with one side of the truth. Yes, your circumstances aren't great. But he's the one who takes the worst of circumstances and rises out of the ashes. Beauty. The Holy Spirit is what enables us to walk in all truth. We're barely able to walk into any circumstance, any environment, anything that's going on around us and going, yes, he is with me. Lord Jesus, we come to you right now and we thank you that you are all truth. Today we welcome your spirit into our lives. Lord, we're going to take this journey and learning what it means to walk in a relationship with you. We're going to be strengthened by you, equipped by you, enabled by you. Lord, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.